Everybody go, when you get to Mark chapter 20, go, uh-huh. Start with verse 1. This is going to be interesting today. It's going to be a little different. It's kind of teachy. But uh, there's, there's something here for us to see. Amen? For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour, everybody say third hour, and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, go you also into the vineyard and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went out about the sixth hour, everybody say sixth hour, and ninth hour, everybody say it, and did likewise. And about the 11th hour, he went out. And found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand you here all day idle? And they said unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He said unto them, Go you also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. So when the eve was come, now watch this, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they had came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny of hence. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the governor of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us. Don't that sound like God? which had borne the burden of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do you no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is and go your way, and I will give unto this last even as unto thee. What about that? I'll give unto the last as I gave to the first, and the first to be last and the last to be first, right? Said, Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is your eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. For many shall be called, but few chosen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, there's a revelation here. Would you give it to us? Let us understand your word. Let us walk out of here full of wisdom, God. In your name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. Now, in this story, there's a householder. The householder would, would be God because Jesus said in my father's house or many mansions, householder would be God. The uh, vineyard would be the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches, and except you abide in me. So the vineyard would be the kingdom of God. The laborers would be you and I. And notice what God said here. God said, Prophetically, he said, I'm going to visit my church four times. Now watch this. I'm going to visit my church four times. And he gave the times that he was going to visit. He said, I'm going to visit on the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and the eleventh hour. Now, some of you may have caught the rhythm in that, but the, the math's a little off. Now watch this. The third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the next would be the 12th hour. 
But he said, I'm going to come and visit the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and the eleventh hour. Because at midnight, the bridegroom cometh. And so he's visiting the eleventh hour generation because that's the generation that's alive just before he comes. That's you and I. We're, we're, if you haven't called it yet, we're the eleventh hour generation. We're the eleventh hour generation. Now, 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 let me show you some things here. A Jewish day consisted. It would start at it would start at six in the morning, six a.m., and they would work to six p.m. That's twelve hours, and they would do this six days a week. How many of y'all want to go back and work under the old Jewish system? 12 hours a day, six days a week. And so this first generation, this third hour generation, he said, first time I'm going to visit my church will be the third hour. Third hour would have been at 9 o'clock in the morning. Do you math? It would have been at 9 o'clock in the morning. Six, seven, eight, nine, nine o'clock in the morning. Watch what happened on the third hour. Go with me over to Acts chapter 2 and verse 15. Is it okay to teach? Is it all right to just dig in the Bible like this? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2 is when it came in like a rushing mighty wind, filled the upper room, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues. Acts chapter 2. Now watch this. The third hour, the third hour. He said, I'm gonna, first I'm going to visit on the third hour. Acts chapter 2 and verse 15. Peter came, Paul, uh, Peter came out stood up to preach to the people that were there. And look what he said. He says, for these are not drunken as you suppose. Notice he didn't say they wasn't drunk. Anybody in here ever been drunk on the Holy Ghost? Yeah. He says, these are not drunk as you suppose. Watch now. Sin it is but the third hour of the day. The third hour of the day. The 120 were filled with the Holy Ghost on the third hour of the day. Isaiah foretold this in Isaiah chapter 28. Go over there with me. Isaiah chapter 28 and uh, look at verse 11 and 12. Isaiah 28 verse 11 and 12. It says, for I was stammering lips in another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. So his third hour visitation was the outpouring of the mighty Holy Ghost. Now, watch this. I'm back over in Acts again. I'm, I'm bouncing y'all around, but I'm back over in Acts chapter 2. And in verse 33, he says this. He says, Peter's still preaching to the to the. Gentiles and the Jews there in Jerusalem. Because they, they were questioning what in the world is going on. This 120 has spilled out onto the streets and they look like they're drunk and they're speaking in other tongues and what in the world is going on. And so Peter says here in verse 33, he says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, speaking about Jesus, he has shed forth this which ye now see and here. He has shed forth, shed forth there is like a pouring out of water. He, he's poured it out. He shed forth this, which you have now seen and heard.
Joel chapter 2, y'all, we could quote it. Y'all go over there and look at it with me. Joel, turn in your Bibles. I want you, I want you guys to read it. Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out, there's that word again, my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. So the third hour visitation was when God poured out the mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost on the church. This which you see and hear, Jesus being exalted by the right hand of God, sat down beside the Father, and he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. Can you imagine Jesus after the resurrection as he's exalted sits down by the right hand of the Father. And he's so glad he's paid the price. And, he, you know, he has to be feeling a sense of relief. And he sits down beside the Father. And he surveys this beautiful heaven that he's from. And he takes a deep breath and he breathes in that celestial air. And his lungs are full of that pure, fresh, celestial air. And he's sitting there on the throne beside Jesus. And, he, and beside the Father. And he looks over at the Father, and he says, God, I, I made him a promise. I said in Acts 1 and 5, John truly baptized with water, but not many days since you shall be baptized in the Holy Ghost. I made him a promise that I'd baptize him in the Holy Ghost, Father. And I can see the Holy Ghost. Jesus looks over to the Holy Ghost, standing over on the side, and he's smiling and ready to go. He knows what the prophecies say. He's got two bags packed, two suitcases. In one suitcase, he's got nine gifts of the Spirit. Over here in this suitcase, he's got nine fruits of the Spirit. Jesus says, you ready to go? He says, I'm ready to go. The Father says, all right, go. Jesus exhales whew, out over the golden avenues, down through a pearly gate, drops down over the Milky Way, hits into the upper room where the 120 are, and they're all baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. How many of you are baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost? I'll give you about five to ten seconds to just give God some praise for being baptized and full of the Holy Ghost. You know, the Holy Ghost at that event, he had to invade the devil's living room. Think about this. There, there's three heavens, right? Paul said he was called up into the third heaven. That's where God the Father is. Second heaven is the outer atmosphere. That's, that's where the devil is, where his principalities and powers of spiritual wickedness are. And then the first heaven is just right, the air right around us, right? The Holy Ghost comes like a ball of fire out of the throne of God. Comes busting out of that third heaven right into that second heaven right where the devil's domain is, straight on into to earth. Can you imagine? I can see the devil look over at some little imp beside him and go, what in the world was that just come to here? And he'll say, I don't know. Let me go investigate. And he goes down and looks down into the upper room, and he says, oh, my Lord, Mr. Satan, we are in some kind of trouble today. How many know the Holy Ghost to stop a devil? Yes, he will. The Holy Ghost to stop a devil. Before now, 
the Holy Ghost would move on people, and then he would have to leave. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost began, the Spirit of God began to move Samson at times. And when the Spirit of God would come on Samson, he, he'd tear, tear the gates off a city wall. He'd take a jawbone of an ash and sli- uh, sli- uh, kill a thousand men, slay a thousand men. But now the Holy Ghost is not coming to come on people. In the third hour of visitation, the Holy Ghost came to come in to people. And he came into us. He came into you. He moved into us. And here's the good news. Watch this. Watch this. Go back over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I, my, one of my mother's mother, bless her heart, uh, was from a different denomination, a different faith, if you will, than we are. And uh, she always believed that she never would say that, that we were wrong, but she always believed that not everybody's supposed to be filled with the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. She would say, well, that's okay, you know, that's okay for y'all, but, you know, not everybody's going to receive that. Not, and, 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 uh, and she believed that with all of her heart. But I want to show you a little scripture right here that kind of messes that up. If, uh, watch this. In case you got a relative that don't believe that, that what you've got is right, watch this. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. This is still the day of Pentecost. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of sins. Watch now. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You, once you repent you, and, and get right with God, you shall. You, you're, you're, now you have permission. You're, it's possible for you to receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Watch now. Verse 39. Look real careful. For the promise is unto you and to your children. Uh, oh, oh, is that what it said? Unto you and to your children and to all that are far off. Now watch this. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. He just said, I want everybody to be a spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Pentecostal Christian. Because he said, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Everybody that's saved. Say, Rusty, do you really believe that? I really believe that God wants everybody that's saved to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. How many of y'all believe that with me? Yes, of course you do. Of course you do. Some of y'all may remember Pastor Ray Riddle. He, he was my associate pastor for 18 years or so. He's been retired now maybe five years, something like that. But uh, his daddy was from a unique breed of Pentecostals. He was like a state over state evangelist for the Pentecostal holiness. And uh, uh, I had heard the story, and then I, I went to preach his funeral, and the bishop over that denomination was there, and he said, he quoted a story that they have written in a history book of their denomination. And here's how the story goes. Brother Riddle was preaching a revival in a little church down in Calhoun Falls. And people started getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. And the Spirit of God started moving. Some of y'all remember him, don't you? Yeah. And the Spirit of God started moving. And so if you remember this man of God, he wasn't going to let up. The Spirit of God was moving. If the Spirit of God wasn't moving, he wasn't going to let up. He was gonna, he's going to get a breakthrough. And... Um, 
So they, they kept having church, they kept having church, they kept having church. At 4 a.m. in the morning, they were just finishing having church. People had just been receiving baptism in the Holy Ghost all night long. That was his anointing to get people baptized in the Holy Ghost. At 4 a.m. in the morning, they step outside the church to go home. It's beside a train track, and the train comes running up and stops. This is a true story. It stops beside the church, and the conductor and, you know, whoever it was on the train, two or three of them, jumped out and come running up to the church and said, we've called the fire department. Where's the fire? And they said, uh, you, know, you tell us. We don't know where a fire is around here. And, the, and listen, and the train and the men on the train said, oh, yeah, there's a fire a mile or two away, we could see the flames sitting on top of this church. Did you hear what I said? We saw the flames on top of this church. I want to tell you, God wants to revisit us with a third hour of visitation. He wants every one of us full of the Holy Ghost and power. Saw, where is the fire? We saw the flames on, on the church field. What about that? He said, I'll come visit on the third hour. We've seen a third hour visitation. Then he said, I'll come visit on the sixth hour. What's the sixth hour visitation? Go with me over to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Jesus is with the lady at the well. He just told her, where's your husband? I don't have one. He said, you've had five, and the one you got's not your husband. Freaked her out. And, uh, and uh, how many of y'all would like to look into the eyes of a man that could tell you every sin you got in your life? It kind of make you nervous, wouldn't it? Yeah, so uh, in John chapter 4, in verse 6, he says, Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being weird with his journey, set thus on the well, watch now, and it was the sixth hour, about the sixth hour, about the sixth hour. And you know what happens? This woman comes in, starts talking to him, and they wind up talking about worship. And she says, uh, you, you know, our fathers say we worship over here at this mountain. Your fathers say we worship in Jerusalem. Tell me where I'm supposed to worship. And Jesus says, I'm telling you that the hour's coming when you neither worship on that mountain or you worship in, Jesus, in Jerusalem, but you'll worship the Father in spirit. And in truth, for the Father seeketh those that will worship him in the spirit. So the sixth hour revelation is a revelation of worship. A revelation of worship. Acts chapter 15, watch this. Acts chapter 15. Talking about the sixth hour revelation. Acts chapter 15 and verse 16. Verse 16 says, after this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. Watch this now about worship. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, the tabernacle of David. So let's talk about that in this restoration of, of worship. You know, worship is just a little bit more than you than you singing a putting on your favorite worship song and getting a goosebump. Worship is, listen, worship is not a moment that you step into. Worship is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. And so, and so he said, 
I'm going to restore the tabernacle of David. Let's look at what happened in David's tabernacle then. Go with me all the way back over in the First Chronicles. First Chronicles, over in the Old Testament. First Chronicles, way back before Psalms. First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 37. First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 37. Watch now. You, you, if you look right over this if you're not careful. So he left there before the Ark of the Covenant. David had brought the Ark back, put it in its place, right? Before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Asaph and his brethren, watch, to minister. That means to worship. To minister before the Ark continually as every day's work required. Wait, what? what what did David just say? David's setting up his government. He brings the ark back. He sets it in its place, and he sets these men in there, and he says, I want worship 24-7. I want worship 24-7 in this house. Now, 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 watch this. This blows my mind. This, I, I, I got studying this this week, and, and, it, and it messed with me. When David started his kingdom, Mark Ward, listen to this. You, this is for you right here. When David started this, he started with 288 musicians and singers. And they, would, they were on shifts, and they would, they would switch every hour between 288. How, how do you know that? I'm not going to turn there, but that's in First Chronicles 25, 6, and 7, if you want to go there later. But watch now. I, I got to go to this. As David's kingdom grew, David grew that worship team. Remember now, 24-7. He, remember, David wouldn't make any decisions except he'd go and sit before the Lord. Most of these psalms, these great psalms that, that you read that David wrote, he wrote as he sat in that temple, in that tabernacle while that worship was going on 24-7. David would go in and sit down and sit in that worship and the Spirit of God would stir up on him and he would write these psalms. A lot of them, I say the majority of them. Now watch this. By the time we see David's kingdom coming to its fullness, if you'll go to First Chronicles chapter 23 and verse 5, more, oh, this is going to mess with you. Mark Ward, this is going to mess with you. These, these were full-time paid by the government. Their job was to worship. Watch this. Moreover, 4,000 porters and 4,000 praised the Lord with the instruments which I made, said David, to praise therewith. Did you hear what he just said? 4,000 people Praise the Lord continually. But God said in the sixth hour, I'll visit my church again with a restoration of worship. Four, listen, I did the math on that. 4,000 4, men worshiping God. And if, if they did it, listen, if they did it in shifts of one hour, which I think is what the Bible teaches, if they did it in shifts of one hour, if you divide 4,000 by 24, you get 166 people in that tabernacle 24-7 worshiping God. Boy, could you imagine if 100 people was in set-free church 
worshiping God. And any time you went in there, it was a fresh crew of 100 people. And you, you got off of work and you thought, I just want to swing by the church and tell Jesus I love him. And you step inside and the anointing is high. And there's 160, 200 people in there worshiping God. Let me tell you something. I know I, know I, don't, I don't see how you, we can afford to pay 4,000 people full time to stay in the church and worship God. But I want to tell you one thing. We can get a spirit of worship about us that when we do come to Together, the worship is high, the spirit is high, and the anointing is high. Yes, sir. The sixth hour visitation was one of worship. One of worship. Now, there, there's a, there's there's a, a wisdom in learning to walk in worship. If you go over to if you go over to Genesis chapter forty nine, I told you all I got a lot of scripture today, and uh, I hope I'm not boring you with the scripture. If you're bored with the scripture, you need to ask God why. <laughs> Seriously, if, if I have to jump on one foot and shout to entertain you, and, and just the scripture itself is not enough, then why? Right? Genesis chapter 49, uh, Jacob's dying, and he calls his sons in. And he's laying his hands on him. He's prophesying over him. He's speaking his last words over him. And what he's prophesying over him is what they'll walk in in their life. And so Jacob comes to Judah in verse 8, 49 and verse 8. By the way, how many know Judah means praise and worship? So we're still talking about worship, right? We're talking about Judah, worship, talking about Judah. And he says in verse 8, Judah, Dara, he whom... Thy brethren shall praise. Your hand shall be in the neck of your enemies. Your hand shall be in the neck of your enemy. Your hand shall be in the neck of your enemy. Uh, who do I want to pick on? Come up here, Trent. You look like you'd be somebody good to pick on. Now hurry it up. Would you got your cowboy boots on? No cowboy boots today. In, 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 the, in the Hebrew, when he says, your hand shall be in the neck of your enemy, that means that Judah's going to be worshiping and praising. And when the enemy comes up, your hand will be in the neck of the enemy. And then he says, the next verse says, all, all your father's children will bow down before you. Here's what worship would do. Your hand will be in the neck of your enemy. He's talking about you'll reach up and grab him by the, grab the devil by the neck. Bow down now. You got, you got to bow down before me. <laughs> and you'll have him by the neck and you'll bow him down and you'll prophesy over him. This is what I'm going to tell you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. This is what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> have you ever thought about it? Worship just destroys. What's the devil going to do with an atmosphere full of worship? Worship destroys the devil in his land. Just destroys the devil. I was raised in Pentecost. I'm fifth generation. And, and, and I remember, uh, I learned at an early age that worship can get you to victory and keep you in victory. 
on Sunday mornings in the in the 1960s, and I was a little kid. I would be spending the night with my grandparents. It'd be Sunday morning. Some of you older folks in here, you remember, it used to be on Sunday mornings. Uh, they had all these shows with the singing, gospel singing on it, all the, the quartets and stuff, yeah. You know where they go, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Every song was going to end like that. You knew it was, right? Somebody was going to go as high as they could. Somebody was going to go as low as they could. Yeah. And, uh, but... Here's what I saw in my Pentecostal grandparents' house. They, we were getting ready for church. They cut that TV on and cut it wide open where you could hear it all through the house with that worship music playing. And, uh, of course, I'm a kid, so my grandmother would fix me a little bacon biscuit and set me down in front of the TV. And I, I'm watching this, this stuff on TV. <laughs> But they would be walking through the house, and as they were getting ready, they'd clap in their hands, rubbing their hands together. And I'd hear, them, I'd hear my grandma, you know, she'd be worshiping God and praising God back in the back bedroom. That music would be full. And you know what? Here's what I learned, that as long as there's worship in the house, there's victory in the house. Uh-huh. I said, I said, if some of y'all cut off some of that junk you're watching, and quit cussing and spitting and watching them have sex with each other all on TV. Your marriage might get back together. You might have some victory in your house. Oh, don't tell the truth, Pastor Steve. Don't, don't tell the truth. <laughs> well, I told the truth, didn't I? I'm still on worship. Job chapter 36 Going over to Job chapter 36, this, this is a tremendous verse of Scripture if you understand it. Job chapter 36 and verse, uh, let's see, look at verse 27. For he maketh, he maketh small the drops of water. Watch now. They pour down rain according to the vapor thereof. The sun shines on water, vapors come up, and the amount of rain that you get depends on the amount of vapors that go up. Okay, about 10 of y'all got that, the rest of you are still looking at me. I said the amount of rain that comes down is dependent upon the amount of vapors that you send up. If you want the rain of the Holy Ghost in your life, then you got to send something up. When, when, listen, when, when you're worshiping God, you're sending up the vapors. When you're giving praise to God, you're sending up the vapors. And as those vapors go up and gather in, 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 in heaven's clouds, boom, he can rain back down on you. But you can't walk in the Holy Ghost if you're not worshiping God. Well. You think you're a gangster and full of the Holy Ghost all at once, right? <laughs> the pra- here's, here's what I've learned. The phrase that costs you the most counts the most. Let me say that again. The phrase that costs you the most counts the most. Paul and Silas in jail at midnight bound, beaten, and chained. 
and they start to just give God a praise and start to worship God anyway. Just I'm just going to worship God anyway. Couldn't be no worse anyway. I'm just going to worship God anyway. And, and the praise that costs you the most is the one that counts the most. And the praise that costs you the most to give is the one that receives the most. Why don't you just stand to your feet right now and just say, I'm just going to give God praise. I'm going to let you sit back down. I'm not through, but lift your hand a minute and say, I'm just going to give God praise anyway. Just go ahead and do it. It don't matter what I'm going through today. It can be a whole big old mess in my life, but I'm going to give God praise anyway. I'm going to worship God in spite of it. I'm going to give God praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give us a sixth hour visitation, God. As the vapors go up, the rain comes down. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, sit down. Let me get you through the ninth hour and into the eleventh hour. You already go into the ninth hour? Yeah. So he visited on the third hour. That's the Pentecostal outpouring. He visited on the sixth hour. That's a restoration of worship in the church. By the way, do y'all know when that happened? You know the restoration of worship came back into the church around the 60s and the 70s? Or, or, or at least a new type of worship? Any old folks in here can go, yeah, I remember that, Pastor Dale. I remember that. Yeah. Watch this. Now the ninth hour visitation. Go with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. The ninth hour visitation. Acts chapter 3. Uh, what time is it? I got time to read this. Okay. Verse 1 says, Now Peter and John went up together unto the temple at the hour of prayer, being, here we go, the ninth hour. That's, by the way, the ninth hour is 3 p.m. in the afternoon, right? The ninth hour of prayer, or the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate in the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asking alms. Peter fastened his eyes upon him where John said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive of them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. He truly was in the ministry. Because <laughs> if you're going after silver and gold, you preaching ain't your occupation. He said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, Give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand, lifted him up, immediately his feet and ankles, bones received strength. And we see this brother leaping and dancing and shouting and carrying on going into the temple and praising God. And everybody was freaked out. Watch the ninth hour. Watch the ninth hour visitation. Ninth hour visitation is the restoration of the healing ministry. It was around the, 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 the late 1800s, early 1900s, when we began to see the outpouring of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We began to see the restoration of Pentecost. 
Uh, a lot of folks think it started at Azuzu Street in the early 1900s, but, but no, it started around here and up in the mountains of North Carolina in the late 1880s and 90s. Uh, my own great great grandparents and great grandmother were baptized in the Holy Ghost in the 18, early 1890s. So uh, in the 1890s to early 1900s, we saw the restoration of, of uh, Pentecost. Then I think something changed in worship uh, in, the, in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, something changed in the realm of worship. Now we're talking about a restoration of the healing ministry. I believe that God heals. By the way, by the way, God miraculously healed me when I was pronounced dead. God miraculously healed me one time, and y'all hang around and watch him heal me a second time, okay? Hang around and watch it happen. But now, but now watch this. I believe, I believe that God heals because the Bible says it plainly that we'll lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. It says plainly that the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. It says plainly that by his stripes we are healed. We saw in the, in the, in the, in the I, I would guess, the 1940s and the 1950s, and I'm a bit sheepish to talk about this because my pastor's up there in the back, and he could tell you more than I can. I, I feel like I might say something wrong with him here, but anyway, I'm up here preaching, and, and, and he's not, so <laughs> i got to say it, right? But uh, it is in the 1940s and the 50s that we really saw a restoration of uh, the healing ministry in America. There were people like A.A. A. Allen and, and William Branham and Jack Cole and uh, Oral Roberts and Lester Summerall, different, just to name some names, John Dowie, uh, John G. Lake, just to name some different ones. Uh, I, I know personally that Oral Roberts in, not, in the late 1940s put up a tent here in Greenville at the fairgrounds, and uh, my, my great aunt, her name was Bertha, and, and she was a Bertha too. But, um, <laughs> Bless her heart. She's with Jesus now. But, uh, and if you name Bertha, I don't mean nothing. <laughs> My wife's looking at me going. <laughs> but she was a young woman and had a muscle disease and could not stand, could not walk. And they took her into Brother Robert's meeting on a cot, one of those cot beds. It was a, a cot and it had four handles and took four men to pick her up and towed her in. They picked her up and towed her in on the cot. Brother Roberts laid hands on her. She jumped up off the bed. She took the cot under her arms and towed her the cot herself back out to her, to her car and, and, and was healed every day after that all the rest of her life and lived to be an old woman and she grew into Bertha and she lived to be an old woman and I need to move on from that. But I believe that God heals. I believe that God healed. Lester Summerall told the story. I, I had a video somewhere one time of him telling the story. He was in the Philippines doing a, doing a big healing crusade. And uh, thousands of people coming every night. And he's praying for them, people getting healed. Drastic healings. I mean, just drastic stuff. Just, you know, jumping up out of wheelchairs and cancers and growths falling off of people and blind eyes. Just, just drastic stuff happening. He goes back to his room, house he was staying in one night, and he's sleeping. There's a couple other guys in the room with him, and his bed starts shaking, 
and shaking all the way across the, the, uh, the room. And he looks, and Lester said it was a, a, a gorilla-looking demon. It looked like a gorilla or something. He said, he said uh, it was shaking his bed and growling at him. He said, he pointed up at him and said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, and, re and rebuked him. He said the little demon started walking, you know, kind of bent over and started walking out the door. I got this on video. Lester told it. started walking out the door. He said, he said, wait a minute. Put my bed back where you found it. <laughs> and said the devil turned around, walked back in there, and shoved his bed back over in the corner where it was before he, before he woke him up. Tell me God's not a good God. Yeah. I believe that God heals. I believe in the ninth hour visitation. Did you know this is a fact? You can Google it, check out what I'm saying. John Dowie, because the community he was in didn't lack all the crowds and all the commotion that he was causing, John Dowie had a big healing ministry. And so they got after John Dowie, and listen to this. They arrested John Dowie 100 times in a year for practicing medicine without a license. Because people, people were getting healed and going to the doctor to, to, you know, to verify their healing. And, and when they get healed and go to the doctor, the officials would get mad and come find him and, and, and bust him for practicing medicine. Well, he wasn't practicing medicine. He was just praying for him. <laughs> because our God is a healer. Amen, everybody? We had the third hour restoration of Pentecost, the sixth hour restoration of worship, the ninth hour restoration of the healing ministry, which basically happened in the 40s and the 50s. And uh, sometime I'm gonna let my, when we get back in our building, I'm gonna let my pastor tell you some stories about some stuff that happened there, interesting stuff, uh, if he will. But then the 11th hour, now, let me talk to you about these 11th hour guys. Notice that the, the 11th hour folks were the least desirable. Because go back. They had stood in the market all day and nobody had hired them. They came in and hired the, the, what would be considered the best workers first. So these were the ones that least likely to succeed, I guess, right? They were the ones that nobody wanted. They were the ones that uh, nobody really thought would amount to anything. The 11th hour, the 11th hour. Bless you, chair, for being there. Y'all hang around, watch God heal me before it's over with. The, the, the 11th hour, the 11th hour, uh, even though they were the least desirable, now hang on now. The 11th hour generation is the, the generation just before Jesus returns because the 11th hour is just before the 12th hour. And the 12th hour at midnight, the bridegroom cometh. That's what your Bible said. And so even though the 11th hour generation was the least desirable, the 11th hour generation got all of it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the 11th hour generation got to experience the third hour restoration of Pentecost, the sixth hour restoration of worship, the ninth hour restoration of healing, 11th hour got to see all of it. Now, actually, in, in uh, Joel chapter 2, Joel chapter 2 and verse 28, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward. I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men a dream, dream. I'll pour it out. It shall come to pass that I'll pour it out. Listen, please listen to what I'm telling you because you are the 11th hour generation. Favor is not fair. And it's our generation that gets to see it all. See, think about this. If you'd been born 150, 200 years ago, you wouldn't have got to see what you see now. Uh, because, because, because from the dark ages to the late 1890s, the, the baptism in the Holy Ghost wasn't, wasn't really being poured out. There was always somebody that had it, but it wasn't poured out on the body at large like it is now. The healing ministry wasn't re restored. Worship wasn't restored. Listen, we need to be glad that we live in this generation. Hey, I... I'm glad that I live in the generation where Pentecost has been restored. I'm glad I live in the generation of worship's restoration and healing's restoration. And thank God Almighty, I'm glad that I live in a generation that has air conditioners and cars. Because I wouldn't want to have to ride a horse everywhere and live in a house with no air conditioning, would you? And we're not even going to talk about inside plumbing, are we? But I mean, if you went back 150 years, I mean, that, that's where you're at. That's where you're at. Favor is not fair. The last day. Over in John chapter 7, and I'm going to wind down with this. Over in John chapter 7, it says that, uh, it says on that last day of the feast, well, the feast, the feast of tabernacle, on that last day of the feast, uh, Jesus stood and said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me. And out of his valley shall flow rivers of living water. Now, now watch this 11th hour generation that gets all of it. The last day is the days that we live in, right? So the last day of the feast, here's what happened. All through that feast, the priest would go to the pool of Siloam and get water in little carrying buckets, and they'd take it back into the uh, tabernacle, and they would they were they were large basins, and they would fill them up with water from the pool of Siloam. All through the ceremony, it lasted several days. They'd fill them basins up. And, and uh, the reason they were filling them bases up with water was they were, they were doing it as an act of worship and remembrance of God's provision of water in the wilderness. God provided water for their fathers in the wilderness and kept them alive. They would walk around this water. Listen to what I'm telling you. And they would recite Psalms. I'm not going to go there for time's sake. You can write it down and go there. But they would walk around. They would recite Psalms 118, 25, in Psalms 118, 29, they'd walk around this water and they would repeat it, they'd walk around seven times, they'd repeat it seven times. Then they would stop and they would recite Ezekiel chapter 47, 
Ezekiel chapter 47 is where he talks about water came out from under the threshold of the door and a mighty river came and that river, everything that God in it lived. And it's, it's, it's a prophecy of the, of the mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost outpouring of the Spirit of God. Then when, when this was complete, all those pots of water that had been filled, uh, I, I'm trying to remember one time I read 30-something gallons in one pot, maybe. Is that right, Pastor Caleb? Uh, and, and they would, at once, they would pour them pots over. And all that water, hey, man, I, <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> I, I thought it's either Mike or God. I don't know which it is. <laughs> All that water would gush out at once and just, it'd be like a, a flood down the steps and whew, down into the street. It just, it'd be a flood of water washing everything out. And just as they poured that water out and whew, flood came, it's when Jesus stood and said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me. See, I don't know what you're expecting, but I'm, I, I'm expecting an outpouring. I'm looking for a deluge. I'm, I'm looking, let me say that again. I am expecting an outpouring. Now, 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 now. Malachi 3 and 10, he said it. He said, I'll pour out a blessing that you don't have room to receive I'm expecting God to pour out more than we can deal with are you listening to me 11th hour people 11th hour people are the ones like Paul when he said I'm sure that when I come to you he's in Romans chapter 15 verse 39 he said I'm sure that when I come to you I will come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel Hey, I expect to live in a third hour outpouring. I expect to live in a sixth hour outpouring. I'm going to see manifested in my body a ninth hour outpouring. And because we're the 11th hour generation, we get to walk in all of it. It's all ours. We don't deserve it. As a matter of fact, we were the least likely ones to get it, but God gave it to us. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that he looked around and saw you and chose you to be in this 11th hour generation? He's so good to us. He's so good to us. Stand to your feet. Whosoever will, let him come and drink. It's no reason for us not to walk in the complete fullness of God. Complete fullness of God. Hey, listen, right there where you're at, it's okay to stand, raise your hand if you want to come down here and, and lift your hands. But, but to just say, Lord, I want a third hour, a sixth hour, a ninth hour, eleventh hour. I want it all in my life. I want it all, God. 
Baptize me afresh with your mighty Holy Ghost. Fill me again with your spirit, Lord. Let worship fall on me and let my house be a place full of worship. Let me protect my environment, God. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, I believe you for healing in my body and in the bodies of our congregants and in our families, God. In the name of Jesus, I believe you for it, God. Sing for me. Lift your hands and worship God right where you're at.